0: Welcome to True Vine Church Community's Sermon of the Week. Our hope is that this message would spark and sustain revival in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information about this podcast and other ways to connect with True Vine, visit us at blessphiladelphia.com. When my wife and I were first married, this was in 2000 uh 5 2005 I was uh, the assistant pastor at a church in New York called Risen King Alliance Church and some of you I think have been up there and you've met the pastor he's been down here and there was a family in that church that they had kids but they also had in the past they had fostered children they had had foster kids kind of you know come through the house they've stayed for a period of time and sometimes they were able to find permanent homes other times, other arrangements were made, but this family told me a story about one of the kids that they had fostered who came into the house, and he had had a rough go of it. Uh, he'd been, unfortunately, through the system many times. He'd been in and out of many homes. Uh, not all of his experiences were positive. In fact, it sounds like most of them were negative, and so when this little foster boy came into their home, uh, they had... A, The family had uh, a biological son and a biological daughter and then this foster child. And this little boy, when he would sit down for dinner, man, he had never seen so much food. The amount of food that they prepared for dinner just was overwhelming to him, and this little boy was not used to that, and so he would eat himself sick. He would take so much food that he would actually get nauseous from, from overeating, and he would just take... You know, two, three, four portions just so that because he was not used to having food. And in his mind, I don't know when there's going to be more. So he was filling up. And they actually found that not only was he overeating during the meals, he was also storing away food. He was hiding it. Now, I think, I mean, you get that, right? You understand why he would do something like that because his experience, his actually very broken experience, created in him kind of a sense of poverty and that he felt like he needed to, you know, hear me when I say this, kind of be selfish. Had to put himself first, right? So he had to put himself first and he actually needed to be a little bit sneaky. He had to hide some of the food. Why did he do that? Because he felt like he wasn't loved. He felt like he wasn't secure. He didn't know when his next meal was going to be. And so the behavior... Is understandable. I'm not justifying it, I'm not excusing it, but I'm saying it's understandable given his experience, right? So what mom and dad in that situation did, and they share this with me, was they had to sit him down and say, Listen, there will always be enough food. We love you. You don't have to hide food. If you want something, all you have to do is ask. Where's there's no shortage on food here? Everything we have in this house is yours. Now, many of us in our walk with Jesus act like that little boy who don't realize how accessible God's love is to us. And we go around because our past experience has taught us there's not enough love, there's not enough provision, there's not enough to go around, and so we decide to be selfish. And we decide to sneak around to get our needs met. And the gospel actually says there is enough love to go around. You don't have to be selfish and you don't have to sneak around to get your needs met. In particular, this, this passage from Ephesians addresses those two things directly. The kind of propensity we have to be selfish sometimes and the propensity or the inclination that we have to sneak around to get our needs met. We're going to look at Ephesians 5, 1-14 through 14 today. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved Children, this is what that little foster boy needed to hear, that he was beloved, right? So Paul is starting off by telling us, you're beloved, you have love, there's enough love for you to go around. So as beloved children, walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma, But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So as we head into Ephesians 5, we're going to notice that Paul is going to tell us how to walk. If you remember the first three chapters of Ephesians were... It's it's God telling us who we are. It's our identity in Christ. And the second half of Ephesians is now, here's the behaviors that are expected of people that have that identity. Does that make sense? Just like that little boy had to understand that he was safe, he was secure, he was loved. When When you have that type of position or identity, then your behaviors, there's an expectation that they change, right? So... Paul's going to tell us today to walk in love, you can see right here, and then he's also going to say, walk as children of light. And those are the two ideas that we're going to look at today. What does it mean to walk in love, and what does it mean to walk in light? Everybody got that? Because when you walk in love, you don't have to be greedy and put yourself first. And when you walk in light, you don't sneak around getting your needs met, illicitly or secretly, right? So let's start with walk in love. Uh, this passage shows us that Jesus is actually the source and the example of what it looks like to walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. Uh, 1 John says it similarly in 1 John 4.19. It says, we love because Christ first loved us. Uh, This may not fit into your um, positive thinking, positive self-image book that you bought on sale in the grocery store line. Uh, about, you know, chicken soup for the soul and whatnot. You cannot originate love on your own. You can only give the love that you've received, okay? So God designed us that way. And in First John 4 and also here in Ephesians 5, it says that we are to love as Christ loved us, meaning that love originates with God. First John also says that God is love. You cannot muster up love. You can only reciprocate love. You can show people love as you receive love. The primary place that you should receive love is through is from God, the Creator, God who is love. Now God puts people in your life that are vehicles for you to receive love. Hypothetically, your parents should be primarily in that role. Your spouse, friends and family, your kids. These are relationships that generally God knits together where he can pour love into your life uh, through other people. But God is the source and the originator of love. Jesus is the example of what it means to walk in love. Jesus' example of walking in love was one of self-sacrifice, not selfishness, but self-sacrifice. Jesus' love did not put himself first. It was It put him into situations of discomfort, put him into difficult situations. And also, Jesus' ability to walk perfectly in love did not mean he went around holding everyone's hand, patting them in the back all the time. That's nice. You should probably do that most of the time. In fact, it's really nice to hold their hands and pat them on the back because every now and then you're going to have to look them in the eyes and tell them something difficult, right? But Jesus' display of love meant occasionally confronting things. But I'm, Jesus also cried with people. That's one of the ways that Jesus showed love. Jesus fed people that were hungry. He helped them get free of bondage like sin and sickness and demonic oppression. The way Jesus showed love goes way beyond flowery words and being nice. He actually liberated people. Um, So, what does it mean for us to walk in love? What does it mean for us to walk in love? What does it mean for us to put off selfish, sinful behaviors. Well, Paul actually gets very specific in verse 3, and he lists three kind of behaviors, and he's going to come back to these in verse 5. He says, Immorality, impurity, and greed must not be even named among you, and it's improper for the saints. He's saying immorality, which is sexual immorality, and impurity, which is him doubling down on the sexual immorality thing, and greed, should not you shouldn't even hear talk of it in the church. There shouldn't be that popping up. In, it's improper for the saints. He actually goes on in verse 5. I want you to remember, immorality, impurity, and greed. In verse 5, he says, No immoral or impure or covetous, which is another word for greed, No immoral, impure, or covetous person who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So Paul specifically identifies these three sins. He's going really hard at this. He's saying that a person who practices these sins without repentance, not a person who, a Christian, who's walking in Jesus and occasionally falls into sin, but a person who has given their life to this, who has zero repentance, zero conviction, they think it's okay, they've given themselves over to it, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. What does that sound like to you to have no inheritance in the kingdom of God? It sounds to me like you're saying that's evidence that they are not genuinely converted. That there's a salvation issue on the table here right now. Now I want to, again, I want to clarify, we are not talking about a Christian who's walking with Jesus who stumbles into sin. We're talking about a person who has given their total will over to this sin, who they don't get convicted. They don't ever repent. They think it's fine. Does that make sense? So since we have a bunch of teenagers, I just thought, why not make it nice and awkward in here today, okay? (laughs) Sorry, guys. I didn't, you know, this is just the way the cookie crumbled today. That word immorality is actually in Greek porneia or pornos. I know it looks like I wrote pornos. That is not the word, but it is the word. It's pornos in Greek. It means it refers broadly to all illicit sexual act outside marriage, acts outside of marriage, such as premarital sex, sex with prostitutes, homosexual activity, incest and adultery. Paul is referring not to believers who might fall into such sin, but to those who persistently and unrepentantly give themselves over to such a lifestyle. So, listen, there's a lot of sexual, a lot of options when it comes to sexual immorality, okay? For some reason in our culture, we've excused some, not excused others, we shouldn't excuse any. Uh, and in the church, we've excused some and not excused others, and we shouldn't excuse any. I want to make it clear that this word, this in Greek, covers this whole category of all illicit sexual acts outside of marriage. This is the hiding that I was talking about, the going around, hiding, getting your needs met secretly, right? Uh, so listen, a, committing adultery falls under this category. If you're married and have a sexual relationship with someone that you're not married to, it falls under this category, okay? Uh Premarital sex, the biblical word for that is fornication. So when you read through the Bible and see the word fornication, don't just blow by that, Okay, just because it's a big word. That falls under this blanket as well. Sex with prostitutes, homosexual activity, incest, adultery, all fall underneath this category. Once you start to check things off the list, you realize it seems like the only thing that's okay is when a man and a woman get married right? And that's not old-fashioned. That is ancient. That is God's design. I mean, that's not old-fashioned. I'm not talking about in the 1940s. I'm saying for thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years since humanity began, this is the way it's gone. You know, like for as long as the sun has been rising in the east and setting in the west, this is how long we have done this. This is not even specifically a Christian thing, although we as Christians protect this, this is the way uh, it's, it's been understood by multiple faiths, multiple cultures, multiple time periods, multiple generations. So when Paul is referring to the immorality, it's not some vague word for sin. It's a specific word for sexual sin, okay? All right, amen. Diana, all right, good. We're on the same page here. All right. That's it's, it's a good one amen, I guess. All right. Uh, it's evidence that a person may not genuinely be saved if they give themselves to that without any sense of remorse or conviction or repentance. And there's no inheritance uh, for folks that give themselves over to that. That goes for all of those. Um. Well, let me just leave it at that. It goes for all of those. So why does Paul include that in the walk in love part? When he's telling them to walk in love and he's confronting immorality, why is that? Because sexuality is supposed to be an expression of love. He's confronting uh, those who have separated sexual acts from love. And they've made it just for pleasure. We have a word, we have a couple phrases in our dialogue or our language. We talk about casual sex, recreational sex. We have what's that? friends with benefits, okay. Susan's more up on this than I am, I guess. <laughs> All right. I mean, don't we have don't we have apps available on phones for casual meetups that lead to sexual intercourse, right? I mean, So what we're doing is we're separating the expression of sexuality from love. When Paul's calling them back to love, he's saying, among other things, sexuality falls under the walk in love part. Does that make sense? So sexuality should only be expressed in the context of love and even that within the biblical confines of marriage between a man and a woman. Got it? Okay, all right, now Paul also tells them to walk in light. He transitions from love to light here uh, in verse 8. He says, you were formerly darkness, now you are light in the Lord. I think it's interesting that he doesn't say you are in darkness, he says you were darkness. And not only are you in light, you are light, which means where you go, you bring light with you. You go into a dark place, it's not, dark, it's not supposed to be dark when you show up, okay? You go into a dark place, you're supposed to bring light with you because the light of the world lives right here, and you're supposed to bring light. So if you go to a dark place and it stays dark, you're not walking in light. Uh, it frustrates me when people talk about, oh, man, the area where I live is just so spiritually dark. Well, you're going to do something about that? You do know, got the light of the world in you. Maybe you should do something about that. It shouldn't. It's kind of a self-assessment uh, when the area that you live in is considered spiritually dark if you're not bringing light to dark places. There should be no dark places where Christians are. Christians should be bringing light because we are light. Paul tells them to walk as children of light. I'm just going to paraphrase that and say to walk in light because I need my points to sound similar. But in verse 9, Paul, ta- Paul tells us a little bit about the fruit of light. So he expounds on light a little bit. And he says the fruit of light consists in goodness, righteousness, and truth. Okay, goodness is an attribute of God. God is the definition of goodness. One of the reasons that people have a hard time connecting with God is that they're not sure whether God is good. They believe that he's all-powerful, but they see bad things happen in their life. And they think, well, if he could have stopped that bad thing, but he didn't let that bad thing happen, maybe God's bad. Maybe God's not good. But listen, I'm telling you that when God created the world, there were no bad things. Who introduced the bad things into the world? Not God, uh, Satan, and us, right? It's hard for me to believe that God is bad and that we're good. Have you ever ridden the bus? That 's the only thing I need that's the only experience I need to have to be convinced of the depravity of mankind so goodness righteousness righteousness is essentially having god 's idea of what's right and what 's wrong or what's good and what 's bad. Righteous behavior puts us in right standing or uh, righteous behavior flows from right standing with God unrighteous be- behavior flo- flows from incorrect standing with God and then truth light and truth go hand in hand Um, when you tell the truth you're living in light when you live truly or live truthfully you're living in light Uh, this the little boy that I shared the story about earlier sneaking around because he didn't think he was going to have enough food so he would hide food and you know keep it in his closet he was not living in the light now we understand why he did that though It's somewhat understandable because he was trying to meet his needs, and he was afraid that if he lived truthfully, he would not get his needs met. So it's understandable, but here's what I'm telling you, and here's what his parents told him. You don't have to do that anymore. You can get your needs met legitimately for that little boy You can just go to the fridge or go to the pantry. For you, it's go to Jesus or go to Jesus' people. You can get your needs met legitimately. You don't have to sneak around and hide and live in darkness. You can live in light. You can walk in light. Verse 10, what does it mean to live in light? It means trying to do what is pleasing to the Lord or learning to do what is pleasing to the Lord. Sometimes, especially early in our walk with Jesus, we don't necessarily know what is pleasing to the Lord. And so it's, it's a struggle to know how to please God. As you grow in your faith and as you get to know God more and as you get to know the Bible more, you get a better grasp of what it means to walk in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. Verse 11, not only should we not participate in darkness, but that we should expose darkness. Uh, um, instead, even expose the deeds of darkness. That is a tough one. It means call it out. Draw attention to it. Say, hey, this right here, this is not right. This is sin. So what I did this week is I went on some of your Facebooks and made a list. (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. I would not do that. But if you got nervous, that's probably a sign that you need to chill out. All right? Okay. We should expose that. Now, a word to the wise. You shouldn't be exposing other people's stuff if you're not exposing your own. That makes you a hypocrite. If you live in darkness, but you're going around like, oh, you're doing this and you're doing this and you're... Well, it's not going to be very long before that hypocrisy gets exposed. So, if there's a place where you want to live in the light, it better be in your life first and foremost expose your own sin. The way you expose your own sin is through confession. Find a mature Christian that you can share some stuff with. If there isn't one of those, you're you're allowed to just confess directly to God. Put it in a journal or something like that. Uh, but expose your own deeds of darkness before you go around playing police and exposing other people's deeds of darkness, okay? All right. Darkness is an interesting thing. It does a few things. uh, It hinders us in a few ways. Darkness distorts us. uh, Darkness distorts, and it prevents us from seeing things clearly. See, when we live in darkness, when we go around hiding, when we go around sneaking around, getting our needs met, it distorts things, and it prevents us from seeing clearly. We start to get these ideas about Reality. We get ideas about our relationships. We get ideas about other people that they're not right. You ever been in a dark room and you see like a burglar in the corner and when you flip the lights on it's just a broom with a coat on it or something like that? When I was a kid I used to always see stuff in the room and then I'd turn the lights on and like oh that's just my you know basketball with a hat on it. You know it's not a headless person rolling toward me. But darkness distorts, it prevents us from seeing clearly. Darkness also Darkness is also the environment that bad things grow in and good things do not grow in. I mean, I can't grow a plant in a dark area. It needs sunlight, right? You know what I can grow? Mold. I can grow disease. I can grow bacteria. But I can't grow positive stuff in light. Uh, Sorry, I take that back. I can't grow good stuff in darkness. But I can grow some garbage in darkness, right? Right? So when you live in darkness, stuff's going to grow in your life. I guarantee it. Sinful mold, sinful bacteria—that's going to grow. But the fruit of the spirit is not going to grow in your life until you start to put some light on things. Uh, Let me talk to you about one of the one of my favorite results of living in light. I love having peace of mind. Um, I love that when I go to the airport and put my suitcase through the um, x-ray scanner, I'm not worried about anything. Go ahead and pick me. All you're going to find is some Bibles, you know, like a computer. You're not going to find any weapons or dirty magazines or anything like that. I remember when I was a youth pastor telling this, to the young men in my youth group, I said, when I have you guys over to my house, I have zero. I'm not nervous about anything. You can crawl under my bed, look under the couch, open up my computer. You're not going to find anything in that. Oh, I have such a peace of mind about that. You know, like the anxiety that comes from sneaking around. Oh, I hope I don't get found out. Hope I don't say something. Oh, did I put that away? Oh my goodness. It like sucks energy out of your body. But the peace of mind that comes from knowing there's nothing you're gonna find that's gonna shame me. It's so freeing. You know, like yeah, yes, you might find like two two bags of wings in the freezer, okay? But I'm not repenting of that. But you're not gonna find anything. You're not gonna find so. The peace of mind that comes with that. I, w- I want you to think about like sending sending your life through the x-ray machine at the airport. What would be seen? What would be exposed? What would be found out? And begin to repent of those things and deal with those things, give those things to Jesus. The peace of mind that comes with that is so refreshing and so enjoyable. <laughs> now, uh, last thing I want to say before I give us an opportunity to respond in prayer, uh, So, the question for me always comes up so, what do you do? Like, when there's darkness, what do you do about this? And I actually think that verse 14 gives us a little bit of an answer. For this reason, it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Uh, If you're like me, or if you're like my wife, you need it to be pitch black in order to sleep. Okay? My wife's the kind of person that tapes like trash bags up on the window, you know, like, (laughs) needs it to be pitch dark quiet, all that stuff. Uh, it's easier to sleep in darkness. In spiritually dark settings, people fall asleep spiritually. And Jesus is saying, or Paul is saying about these people, wake up, sleepy. Arise from, uh, arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. You know what I used to do to my brother when he would sleep and I needed to wake him up? Grab a flashlight well, I was a nice brother, and shine it in his eyes, wake up, wake up, because, you know, obviously we slept in a dark room like most people, and so, and my brother and I shared a room for many years, so I'd get down off the top bunk and it was time to wake up, flip on the lights, I almost, I take some joy still in doing that to my own kids, when it's time to wake up, I flip them lights on and I'm like, wake up, I'm not, you know, my wife is like, Aiden, sweetie time to wake up. I'm like, get up, boy. (laughs) Flip the lights on, because that's how you wake someone up, right? Now, some of us, we like that with spiritually sleepy people. We like to get in their face and say, wake up, but we're not flipping the light on yet. Jesus is the light. It says right here, Christ will shine on you. Jesus is the flashlight that we're shining in people's eyes. Jesus is the light that we flip on. Just yelling, wake up, without turning the lights on is kind of obnoxious. Turn the light on, show them Jesus, let them see by the light of Jesus, and people wake up. So what does this mean? It means that if you go to work with a bunch of people that are spiritually asleep, be like Jesus. Live like Christ. Let Christ live through you that will shine light in their eyes and wake them up. It means on your street, on your block, let your house be full of Jesus. Be like Jesus in your, in your interactions with your neighbors. And it will let light shine and it will wake people up. Does that make sense? So instead of shouting, wake up, shine light. and You can shout, like wake up too, that's fine, but... You should, if you're doing that without shining light, they're just going to stumble in darkness, right? And so Jesus is actually the light that wakes up the sleeper. Jesus is the one that uh, helps their eyes adjust, gives them the ability to actually see reality as it is. And we want to present Jesus to the world, to those that are living in darkness, and to those that are spiritually asleep. So this morning we talked about walking in love and walking in light, which brings me back to this little boy. That I opened up the sermon with. He learned an important lesson while he lived with that family while he was in foster care, which is that he was loved, that he did not have to put number one first. You know, I'm just gonna do me. He didn't have to do that. We're gonna eat as a family, we're gonna have equal portions. You know, there's enough to go around, we don't have to take from others just to satisfy ourselves. He also learned that he doesn't have to sneak around. That his father and mother have provided for him that he doesn't have to sneak and steal and hide. And so that's what I would say to you. As dearly beloved children, as it said in verse 2 of this passage, as dearly beloved children, you do not have to put yourself first all the time. You do not have to live selfishly. You also don't have to hide and sneak and steal and cheat in order to get your needs met. Walk in love and walk in light. I'm going to give you an opportunity to come up and be prayed for if, if either of those two things or something you feel like the Lord is saying, this is what I want you to do. I want you to walk in love. Or, I want you to walk in light. I'm going to have two different prayer teams up here. Uh, I'm going to ask Glenn and Dorian if you'd come up here, stand on my left, your right. And I'm going to have Anna and Candy on my right or your left. So if you would like to receive prayer and spend some time praying, we got these two teams up here to pray with you. Would you mind standing with me? I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to dismiss you. Jesus, we are responding to your call to walk in light and to walk in love because we want this stuff. You've empowered it. I mean, you've given us the ability to do this through the Holy Spirit. And so, Jesus, I pray for those that, wanna, that want to walk in love and want to respond to walking in love, that you would give them a Christ-centered and other-centered worldview rather than always putting themselves first, rather than being selfish, rather than separating their activities out from love. Uh, empower them to walk in love. And for those that uh, want to walk in light, Jesus, I pray for authenticity. I pray that we would be genuine and raw and real that we wouldn't feel the need to hide or sneak or cheat, but that we would be able to be who we are publicly and privately the same. I pray that, uh, Lord, I pray for protection as we bring stuff up to the surface, that you would deal with it, but also prevent us from being uh, shamed or guilted by the enemy. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you'd like to be prayed for, there's some folks up here that will pray with you. Otherwise, have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday. Thank you for listening to True Vine's Sermon of the Week. This podcast and an archive of previous episodes can be found at blessphiladelphia.com.